You're listening to the Tag Team Podcast. And now, the special presentation. Madison Square Garden Network presents the World Wrestling Federation. Here are your Tag Team Podcast hosts, Jeff Jones and John Burke. Wow, I was not expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> this is the Tag Team Podcast. I am Jeff Jones. I'm John Burke. Welcome. Indeed. Welcome. Special event, special intro. That was very special. <laughs> very 80s. Yeah, I thought you might like that. I just don't know how you got Gorilla Monsoon to come in and do the voiceover there. <laughs> a little bit of Undertaker mixed in with Papa Shango and a little bit of Boogeyman Bray Wyatt. We got him back to life enough to do that. Well, that's something. Just make sure you put him back after you're done. <laughs> Yeah, not a problem. <laughs> what is up? I enjoyed trying to watch this long event. It's probably the longest one we've had to review since we started. Probably three hours if they had commercials all the way through it. Conquered the Conquest. I feel like I need a t-shirt that said, I watched Raw to end it all. And people would look at you because <laughs> nobody else seen the whole thing. Exactly. Only the Cindy Lauper and Wendy Richter match. And there's an attendance at Aston Square Garden, MSG, and however many people actually had that network. It'd be interesting to see how many people got that or watched it or if they had to buy it. Couldn't really tell from the commercials that were left in if it was an actual pay-per-view type thing or if you just subscribed to cable and you got the MSG network channel by default. You know, I want to say that MTV may have hosted that event. I think MTV may have piggybacked off that for that one segment. Yeah, it seems like through the feed, once they were getting up to that match, it was stall tactics time, and we'll get into that a little bit later. I'm not sure how it all went down, but apparently we can watch Avengers on MSG at 11 o'clock every night, but not those Avengers. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. And uh, I, I was actually looking it up and actually seeing that your direct TV and Dish Network still has the MSG network. I think it just, maybe I'm wrong, because I'll only time I've actually seen it is through broadcast feeds. I think it's just mostly sports now. I could be wrong. This might be just the only time I actually see it. Let's find out. Like New York Knicks game or whatever. Yankee baseball. I don't know. They used to have the Yes Network. I don't know if they still have that or not. No, Daniel Bryan was not the commissioner of it. You would be correct. It is sport. Yeah, that's what I thought. It's the only time I've ever seen it. Mostly hockey, it looks like, but it is sports. Do they have the Yes Network still? Yankee Entertainment? Sports, I think is what it was. Can we still say Yankee? Is that on the offend people? Total post-civil war, we're good. Oh, okay. You are Yankees. I think George Steinbrenner actually owned it, but it might have defunct when he passed. I don't know, or even before that, until I follow baseball a lot. Steinbrenner died? Yeah. Oh. But he lives on in Seinfeld. That's where I'm at right now, Seinfeld. <laughs> it appears that Yes Network is functioning. Uh, well, okay. well, their website's functioning, I should say. Better than Turner South, then their website does not. Mm. It is very Yankee-ish, if that's a word. Yeah. And New York-y. Looks like NYCFC's Sucker. The competing network to MSG, I guess. Yeah. So there you go, Yankees. You have your own network. And anyone listening in New York? Yes, we're not that bright because we don't have cable. At least not cable that gives us the Yes Network and MSG. We have cable. <laughs> 
You have cable. We don't. We don't. We don't have sticks and fire. <laughs> I choose to cut my cord. It's not because we live out in the boonies. It's because there's other ways to get stuff. There's no need to pay for it. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> but we should move on. Yes, we'll edit all this out and post. I'm definitely. Our last special wasn't too long ago, but it was Black Saturday. It was the history behind Vince McMahon going into TBS and taking over WCW as Scott Hall would say. And the survey said one more for the good guys. They like Georgia Championship Wrestling much better according to the survey that was not issued but the thousands of mail and phone calls that came in saying we don't like this WWF stuff. Get it off the TV. Who is Vince McMahon and why is he shaking Freddie Miller's hand? I don't understand what's going on. Didn't work out too well but it was a six month thing and it did lead to Wrestlemania. I guess we went back and changed it, we wouldn't have WrestleMania. Who knows where we'd be at. It was one of those growing pains that helped the WWF get to where they need to be. Greed. And we're still waiting for that special Paul Orndorff interview. Yeah, keep waiting. <laughs> I've given up on it. It's terrible. It's very Bush League. Don't like it. Nope. I won't stand for it. Nope. I won't sit down. <laughs> and after that, we had Tuesday Night Titans episode five. And for a quick recap of that, we had Vince McMahon and Lord Alfred Hayes open the show. The new introduction seems as if Vince took horns from Paul Vachon's band. Also, Lord Alfred Hayes was a ball boy for Her Majesty. Something about chasing balls, but we will move on. And from there, we had the footage of Cindy Lauper training with Wendy Richter, and Wendy went on set. The alternate footage on YouTube mm-hmm. that had a little bit more training time than what actually showed on the network. And then Wendy joined the set, and then we had Tony Gurria join the set as well, and he is still looking for a young man for the tag team partner. Enter for the sixth time. I'm telling you. And then we see Jimmy Snuka and Samu Goetta. Terrible match. So bad the commentators had to advertise other matches to kill time. It wasn't the best, but hey, it was a. Uh, well, we'll get into that. But uh, it was a cut and paste. We had our usual viewer mail. Yeah. And we finally get an address. I have not received a return mail, by the way, from the postcard that I sent TNT. Mail's not as quick as it used to be. It'll right. probably take a little while. But that screen capture is up at Facebook. So if anyone else wants to join Jeff on his letter crusade to get answers, from Vince. Yes, please do. Feel free. After that, we finally find Red Bastion, and that last episode, I think a viewer's mom was wanting to know how Bastion was, so I hope we satisfied her the non-endo-endo way. Then, from there, we see video of Dory Funk Jr. Red Bastion wrestling, with no commentary, of course, which was awesome. Texas Deathmatch. And then, Mr. Greg Valentine joins the set, and he asks if this is where all the old wrestlers go once they retire, referring to the furniture. We see a match between Greg Valentine and Tito Santana. Once again, Tito cheats and keeps the title. Hey, W's a W. The way you look at it. Terrible champion. Once we come back, we see Mr. Valentine's wife has joined the TNT set and says he's just a big old pussycat and then says, well, he does beat up random people in the parking lot. Doesn't everybody? So I don't know how to take that. They start the conversation about how Greg is really tired and beat up from his tour around the world, as they say. It proceeds to show how his wife gives him a massage. That's where it starts to go. TVMA. Yeah, we have to move on by that. And the next, Roddy Piper joins the set. And we see a match between Roddy Piper and SD Jones. Or at least some of a match. Yeah, Piper decides that. He won the match. Everybody knows he won the match. And he wants to know why we're still watching his old matches. I too ask that sometimes. 
Gibbs brings up the controversy of Roddy Piper not being able to play the bagpipe. He demonstrates that very well, that he does not know how to play. And of course, it's actually, it was the instrument's fault because it's not his own. It wasn't tuned correctly. So we'll give him a pass. And then the next scene we get, we see Scottish dancers doing Scottish dances, not the kind of dancers you were thinking about. Because this is TNT and we have to have singing or dancing or sometimes we look out and get both. Oh yeah, really lucky. Yep. And when, when they come back, Vince asks Roddy Piper about his interview with Jimmy Snuka over in the Piper's pit. And he's like, what are you talking about? No one's ever heard about this before. And then he comes back and I don't remember exactly what Vince McMahon and Lord Alfred Hayes <laughs> did exactly to rile up. I think it was more Hayes than Vince. Nevertheless, Piper decided to uh, show him who's boss. Pimp hand! The slap heard around the studio was born. And needless to say, Piper is banned from TNT and he will never be seen again at TNT. So says Vince. And if Vince says it, it's good. Definitely. And then the final match was the fabulous Moolah versus Penny Mitchell. And we want to try to forget that one. But Moolah wins. Yes, you can call it a win. Hey, so one, two, three. The match ended, so everyone won. Yes, we all get trophies. Yep. That was the episode. And a fun fact about Moolah, she held the women's title for 28 years before the brawl ended all. Unless you ask Captain Lou, then she only held it for 12 years. Well, Captain Lou didn't really know too much about Moolah and Adley. We'll get into that as well. <laughs> Ready to do some territory talk, Jeff? Let's talk it up. Let's talk May 1984 timeline with territories. Territory. Wrestling territories. And for you youngsters out there, <laughs> wrestling territories is something that may be foreign to you, but at one time in the United States alone, there were 25 or 30 wrestling territories that were headquartered around the country. Okay, so in episode 5, we did ICW, International Championship Wrestling, and we also did Continental Championship Wrestling. And both those were mostly in Tennessee, but also one in Mississippi and Kentucky. And on a special edition, we did Georgia, because that's basically all that special edition was about. So this time, we're going to go back and do some more New York, because that's what's mostly on this edition is New York. And we're going to do the National Wrestling Federation. Bosley. Territory Talk. New York. National Wrestling Federation or NWF a wrestling promotion based in Buffalo, New York and owned by promoter Pedro Martinez. It ran from 1970 to 1974. The NWF Heavyweight Championship and NWF North American Heavyweight Championship were later used by New Japan Pro Wrestling as its main titles until 1981. In 1986, Robert Ruskin, president of Ruskin Sports Productions and a former professional basketball coach for the ABA, purchased the Allentown, Pennsylvania-based Continental Wrestling Alliance from D.C. Drake and renamed it the National Wrestling Federation. The organization revived the NWF Heavyweight Championship and created an NWF Women's Championship. Under the direction of Ruskin, the National Wrestling Federation grew rapidly. Using wrestlers who were formerly under contract with the World Wrestling Federation and the National Wrestling Alliance, Ruskin spared no expense in making the product a watchable alternative to the wrestling shows which were currently on television. Drake, who was the champion, also headed up the booking and television production ends of the business. Raskin felt that the NWF should move the television tapings from the Eastern Pennsylvania VFW Hall to various locations around the East Coast. 
Matches were taped at arenas in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, and other locations. Raskin also hired a young Paul Heyman to handle color commentary on the TV show. Drake and Raskin also decided to put more emphasis on the NWF women's division. As the women's division became established, Wendy Richter, who along with Cindy Lauper helped the WWF bring attention to ladies wrestling once again, was defeated in a questionable fashion in Madison Square Garden by the fabulous Mulu and left the organization. She entered the NWF and quickly captured the title from Heidi Lee Morgan. The revived NWF also placed a major emphasis on hardcore wrestling, including many specialty matches such as Indian strap matches, dog collar matches, and steel cage matches, including one of the first women's steel cage matches in the United States, featuring Richter and Morgan. Ruskin, seeing the organization expand, merged with Creative Entertainment, a sports and entertainment promotional organization from Philadelphia. This move proved to be a smart one as Creative Entertainment was able to book matches for the NWF across the country. The television show expanded to sports channels and broadcast stations across the country and appeared in foreign markets in Europe, South and Central America and Asia. As the company grew, creative differences began to split the organization and several in the front office left to pursue other ventures. As the capital investment stopped, the television product was halted. The promotion closed in 1994. Pretty cool promotion, though. I'd, I'd like to get some of the footage for that. Maybe one day Vince will attain it and put it up on the network. I think Vince is busy working on his movie. I don't, I don't think he's going to really worry about that too much. I'm sure one of his unpaid interns might decide to go digging for that stuff. I'd love to see a young Paul Heyman do color commentating on TV. It'd be interesting and fun to watch. Probably the same he was with ECW. Extreme! Yes. Yeah. Very extreme. Might have been where he planted his seeds. It's been a while since I saw his documentary DVD, but got hardcore matches, Indian strap matches, dog collar matches, steel cage matches. That might have been the first little seedlings planted into Paul Heyman's brain on Extreme South. Yeah, it's possible. Got a tie-ins here with Wendy Richter, and I'm sorry for the spoiler there, Jeff. I also found it as a spoiler. I don't really remember how she left the WWF. Apparently, Bosley was able to track down some information that said it was on a questionable fashion in Madison Square Garden and a loss to Moolah. I don't want to say questionable. Well, Moolah's like 90, so anytime you lose to her, it's questionable. Hey. She was 90 in the Attitude Era. Yeah, I guess they're okay with it. <laughs> oh, of course. This was 84, so she was still very old, and even in the matches, she looked like someone's grandmother to me, but we'll get into that later. Indeed, or maybe not. <laughs> and before we get started on the broad end it all, let's give a little back history so you guys know exactly what you're getting into. The Brawl to End It All was a professional wrestling event produced by the World Wrestling Federation and broadcasted live on MTV. It took place at Madison Square Garden in New York, New York on July 23, 1984, which was on a Monday. The show was a major event in the rock and wrestling connection in the mid-1980s. The main event featured the fabulous Moolah defending the WWF Championship against Wendy Richter. Richter pinned Moolah to win the Women's Championship. It was the only match of the event that was shown on national TV although the entire event was recorded and shown on the Madison Square Garden Network. Kayfabe on the moolah. Mm, she needs all the help she can get. And what we watched it on was YouTube, so... 
You don't need the network for this one, folks. Just go on YouTube, type it in, find at least five or six links. They're all the same VCR quality tape, just different people posted it. So you should be able to go out there and watch it. Just set aside about two hours and 46 minutes every time. It is lengthy. Or set aside an hour and three minutes and you use the fast forward button. Your call. That's what I did. Because it, it was lengthy. It was mildly entertaining, but, but it, it was lengthy, that's for sure. I suffered it out just like the millions and millions watching at home and in attendance at the event. Actually, I broke it into two parts, but I, I did watch it on at Fast Forward. You're a trooper, sir. Yes. Things I do for this podcast. I envy that, and I, I plan to, to do that one day. <laughs> Once he gets that first paycheck, folks, keep those donations coming. Definitely. All right. So for this first match, we had Samoa number one, Sika versus Ron Shaw. The Ron Shaw for all you following along at home. What was your thoughts on this match? It was a good curtain jerker. I mean, well, there was two guys that I had no clue who they were, but Ron Shaw, since from TNT fame, a known enhancement talent that occasionally will win. In this match, the ref almost gets hit by Ron Shaw's elbow when he throws it back to try to hit Sika in the corner and that was pretty funny. It would have been hilarious if the ref would have got knocked out by Ron Shaw. It would have been a quick match TQ. Just, you have to call that. Pretty much the match itself moves on. You got your classic Samoa headshot spots where if you headbutt him, it does nothing. You can hit him in the head, does nothing to him, doesn't phase him, and actually makes you go concuss basically when you do headbutts to the Samoans. Pretty much that lasted, that little spot lasted until like the mid-90s. I guess it kind of died off when the Samoans no longer were a part of wrestling and they got renamed Rakishi and things like that. The Rock are no longer known as Samoan wrestlers, so they just kind of faded that out with the wrestlers themselves. Then Sika wins on a body splash. I concur. The commentary for all these is going to be the same. Release to keep track of is Mean Gene and Gorilla Monsoon on commentary for the night. Same, pretty much. You know, like you said, hit a Samoan in the head, you get a broken fist, concussion, probably kidney tree. Yeah, he does hit the body splash for the victory over Ron Shaw. And you would think if your greatest attribute is your head, that would be part of your finisher. You'd do like a flying head, but I guess Jimmy Snuka had that cornered. No one else could use it. Besides that person we're not allowed to talk about. Yeah, that guy. So moving on. Next match we have is Iron Sheet with Mr. Fred Blassie versus Tony Guerrero. And for some reason, Fred Blassie was not wearing his Middle East headgear like he was on the Black Saturday match that we saw. So I don't know, maybe he got too hot on it and said, forget this, I'm going back to my usual attire. You can still call me the Ayatollah of wrestling, but I'm not wearing that. Maybe he was in a rush. Might have been. Might have just totally forgot it. One of those senior moments. Maybe he didn't know he didn't have it till he was already out there walking. Ah. <laughs> I did notice some cool stuff in the beginning that we can get into if you want. Oh, definitely. Well, besides the what we were looking for in the Black Saturday, but didn't actually get the USA chance, they did do them here in Madison Square Garden, even though Tony Guerrero is from New Zealand, and obviously the Iron Sheik is not from the U.S. So even the announcers made fun of them, saying that, that neither of the wrestlers was from the U.S. And then before the match started, it looked like the Sheik thought he was going to get an opportunity to talk on the ring announcer's mic, but they raise it before he gets to it. So he was even yelling at Blassie, 
like, they raised the mic before I got to talk to him, mouthing that to Lassie. So he kind of gets his revenge on the end of it. I thought that was a funny moment because he was reaching for it and then it goes up and he still tries to grab it as it's going up and he's going to bring it back down and get his ring mic work on. I don't think he was going to say anything nice, to be honest with you. No, I think what he summed up and then ended up getting some mic work at the end of the match instead was probably what he was going to say in the beginning. During the whole match, Sheik was just worried about not getting on the mic, so he made sure that after the match was over, he got the mic. That may have been the reason at the first of the match he was getting handed to him. He wasn't focused. Yeah, that's what exactly what was going on, too. Tony did have a lot of offense in the beginning. They go over the boots being used as weapons, something that they always usually mention with the Sheik. They said the boots must be something besides normal material, is what they were commenting on the boots. So, despite them looking like normal boots with just curls at the end, they insist that they must be something besides normal material. Did you notice that Mr. Guerrero did not have a hair out of place? Oh, because he uses whatever that popular hairspray was in the 80s. But I did notice that one. He had him in one of the many, many headlocks that, <laughs> that happened there in the match. Had him in a headlock, and then the camera panned right to his face. Flawless hair. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> Yes. Yep, that's what we cared about in the 80s for sure. What else you got? And they reverse into a suplex and then Irish whip and the Sheik gets the win. That's what I got on here. Yes, Sheik throws ground to the turnbuckle chest first and he does a nice little German suplex for the victory. Suplex city. I was impressed with the mobility there. Though, speaking of mobility, Mr. Sheik, he was very, very cardio happy. If you notice the actual moves where he had to jump up and jump over, Tony was running back and forth across the ring in the upper part of the match when it was actually going. He threw out some crazy cardio. Have you seen the Sheik documentary? He's paying for it now. I have not, but yes. Pretty sad. It was on Netflix a while. I doubt it's on there now, but you know how they cycle stuff in and out. Yeah. One thing that kills me on documentaries, I'm still waiting, is uh, Bobby the Brain Heaton documentary. If they're going to yeah. make one of him before he passes. They need to. I want to see that and going totally off subject, um, the territory talk, I'd love to see a New Japan documentary for the 70s and 80s. I don't know much about New Japan 70s and 80s and sound like they used a lot of other wrestling organizations belts so I'd like to know why that was and what the scene was there in the 70s and 80s but we can get Bosley to do some research for us on his day off look it up yeah maybe but yes we'll have to check out that documentary though on the sheet yeah it's pretty good it's sort of sad towards the end I mean you know all the wrestlers are from that generation pretty much it was informative the next match from there we have Tito Santana versus Cowboy Bob Orton and this is the first time I've personally seen Mr. Bob Orton in the ring this is the first time I've seen Bob Orton Jr. in the ring with how to cast because he had it as a Wrestlemania and that's basically when I was introduced to him. But seeing how this is a Tito Santana and this is from the IC Championship and we have a blunder in the announcing but it's not actually the Fink's fault there. He is used to all title matches going an hour but this one is explained at the finish on why it did not go to an hour and he recorrects himself to say this is a 20 minute time limit. So I wonder how this one's going to end. Hmm. Tito, IC Championship 20 minute time limment. What are you trying to say? You're trying to say that Tito has what it 
takes to run the full 20 minutes. Just trying to say Tito has not won a clean match since I've started watching Tuesday Night Titans and 1984 wrestling. So a babyface doing some heel moves. Yeah, and I don't think he ever went heel. I don't know why this is. Why they thought this would be a good way to introduce people to their favorite wrestler. A guy that can never get a three count. Just wins by countouts and DQs and draws. Terrible. But yes, as John said, this was a title belt and it did go the full 20 minutes. Gorilla said he was hoping it would go the hour though and thank goodness it didn't. They would have had pandemonium for sure. It would have been chaos trying to get them separated after the 20 minute mark for sure. Yeah. You could tell as the match went on that they were both getting exhausted up to the 20 minute mark. You could tell fatigue was definitely sitting in. I didn't foresee them two really going an hour as hard as they were going. It was pretty funny in the video. Anyone wants to watch it at the 30 minute and 12 mark. The whole video not for this match obviously. You hear a chant of boring audience at least the guy that was heard was not really into the, the match that much. I learned one thing that a outside wrist lock is less powerful than an inside wrist lock. Thank you Gorilla. He is the godfather of wrestling. Yep so always use that inside wrist lock because that outside one's not going to do it. I would have got a one two three if we had done an inside wrist lock just saying. It's true. Maybe Tito should sit down with Monsoon more. He wanted to cheat to win. Yeah there you go. And I think this was the match that I had three water maneuver count. That was kind of the birth, at least for me to see it. Mean Gene on the water maneuver three times. What a maneuver! Yep. And then there's actually better action after the time limit. Gotta love him. Than there was the whole match. Yes. And Gene did make the comment that both men were sweating profusely, and it was probably leading to why that there were so many escapes and reversals on the holes during the match. Yeah, that's the reason, Tino. But yes, the match does come to an end with the bell ringing. And I did time it, and it was 20 minutes. Good job. Draw, and Tito remains the champion. No fake minutes there. 20 minute time limit. 10 minutes later. Time draw. What? Hate them fake minutes. Nah, wrestlers don't know. Yeah. Only thing that was kind of fascinating was Rutch Limbaugh theme plays us out of that match. And I'm sure he got the music from somewhere else. It's the only place I know the music from. Used to have to listen to it all the time. But I was doing irrigation. Guy I worked with loves some Rush Limbaugh. That was kind of fascinating to hear that theme in wrestling. How intriguing. And then the next match, we have Bob Backlund versus Butcher Vashon. Or the guy that comes on Tuesday Night Titans, sings, and loses to Jimmy Superfly Snooker. When they first come out, Mean Gene makes a fat comment about Vashon. He needed to get back into the gym. He didn't look right. And I'm not down for those comments. A little offensive. And during the match, we learn that Backlund is not so much a weightlifter, but really more into calisthenics. And just by this comment, we knew that Backlund was 50 times faster than Vashon. That would ultimately be the deciding factor of who's going to win this one. Did it look like to you, I give a spoiler, but when they slammed on the chicken wing there, when Backlund did, it looked like to you Paul tapped a lot sooner than the ref acknowledged? I think he tapped uh, three seconds after Backlund had it applied, but referee was in the incorrect position to see the tap the first time. You would think there was going to be some kind of Tuesday Night Titans ref strike or something as many times as they mentioned that these refs are horrible, they're terrible. I'm just waiting for the angle to play out. I'm waiting on a good referee. <laughs> hey, these guys were old. They can strike. <laughs> yeah. Union. These guys all look like they're in their 50s or 60s. Yeah, we would think that eventually somebody would get it right. But I guess if that's all you got, it's Union, then you kind of get what you get. Yep, it's New York's Union ref. Ten guys for all matches. That's what it seemed. Two main referees the whole event here. 
I think maybe it was just me and all the people look alike. Like the refs just kind of hung out by the ring when they weren't actually refing. Like there's the other ref that was in here just hanging out in the ring in his blue shirt doing like crowd control or just standing in the entryway. Referee slash security guard. Yeah, double duty. I don't know, maybe mm. just someone that looks like one of the refs. I don't know. VCR quality, kind of hard to tell. Possibly. They didn't have that tracking. Yeah. The automated tracking on the VCRs. Yeah. Exactly. So after Backlund performs the cross-faced chicken wing, which is a submission move for those who are getting hungry. Was it barbecue? For the victory. Teriyaki. It's cross-faced. It's a new kind. Oh, I had to try that flavor. Yeah. We'll talk to Bob. He can hook you up. Okay. Next, we transition to interviews for the next match, and they start off with Greg the Hammer Valentine. Greg and Hulk Hogan. That was the only pre-interview that seemed like it was really pre-pre. The other one was definitely not that pre. Well, and Hammer says, win, lose, or draw, you're going to fill the hammer and the figure four leg lock. That was Hammer's message to Hogan. Did he even have Captain Lou in that interview? I don't remember. No, I don't believe Lou was in the first one. Lou's the worst manager of all time. He doesn't know when people's titles reigns were, and he doesn't show up with his own wrestlers during interviews. It's in there. Just interference. He is the distraction. Guess so. So the next interview he have is Hulk Hogan. Always entertaining. Something about, hey brother, 24 inch, what you gonna do? Something like that? Uh, yes. Electricity? I don't know. Yeah. Mass Square Garden electricity. Yes, he states that when he wins, he's going to call the power company and have them turn the lights off in the arena because the crowd will be glowing with electricity. Only knew he was going to face the most electrifying man in WrestleMania 17 back then. We wouldn't be saying so much about electricity. And if he knew that he was going to walk down the ring, walk down to the ring in flowers, he wouldn't be talking about electricity either. Hulk Hogan, what happened? So then it concludes to the match, Hulk Hogan versus Greg the Hammer Valentine. This was a one-hour limit match. Get to hear why it'll never be on the network as they blast Eye of the Tiger when Hulk Hogan comes out. And he is known as the Incredible, and now he is known as Worldly. When the ring announcer announces him. Interesting. Worldly. He, is, he was the incredible Hulk Hogan, and now he is the worldly Hulk Hogan. Slowly going to immortal. Well, the way he sold at the end, you would think he is immortal. That Marvel lawsuit's coming. They just kind of keep holding on to incredible. You know, if they just watch the network, I'm pretty sure a lot of lawsuits would pop up. <laughs> So right out of the gate, we have Hammer starts the attack on Hulk Hogan early. Then Hogan retaliates and then goes to work. He eventually gets Greg outside. Greg turns it around with a German suplex. And then Greg gets the advantage whenever he drags Hogan outside by the leg. And did you notice what happened whenever Greg tried to use the chair the first time? I caught that and a little bit before I noticed Mean Gene doesn't know his left from his right. When Hulk Hogan hits Valentine, says, there's a left. Hogan's throwing his right hand. There's another left. Hogan's still throwing his right hand. There's a left. Hogan finally does throw his left hand. He gets confused. He's an old man. Yeah, that, maybe Gene was sitting in back of him and it was Gene's left, but it was Hogan's right. I don't know. I think I think if you'd have said, Hogan's throwing my left, his right, <laughs> then he'd have been all right. Yep, exactly. So yeah, the, the chair, that was classic. You totally couldn't get away with that in today's wrestling. You would be sued and it would be on TMZ and probably five or six other news stations would run it if it was a slow news day. That was very interesting because when Greg tried to pick up the chair to soften up Hogan's knee, he looks like Hogan grabbed it and threw it into the crowd. 
kind of got at a different angle from it. It looks like to me, Greg tried to pick it up and was going to use it, and the fan tried to take it, and then Greg threw it into the crowd. That's what I gathered. I don't know. We'll let the listener decide. You'll have to go back and watch it. It happened at the approximately, I think I got one hour, five minute mark. Yeah, sounds about right. Valentine also does a flare flop, but it's not as classic as Piper's or Flair's himself. I did notice one flare flop, though. So Greg does happen. Conveniently, there was a second chair there. So Greg was able to get that chair and then soften up his knee. And then Greg's able to get back in the ring and continues to work the knee, getting him ready for the figure four. But every time he tries to get to the figure four, Hulk is magically able to kick his butt literally out of the figure four maneuver. Yep. And Hulk doesn't waste too much time. He does the classic stuff that we're used to seeing. The Hulk up moves and ends it on his patent finish, the leg drop. You notice after the leg drop, Hulk Hogan no-sells the fact that he got smashed in the knee with a chair and also many many thigh shots and several knee shots it's incredible that's what he does he's worldly yes very worldly <laughs> i thought that was kind of <laughs> no selling right there typical hogan typical hogan even though he hadn't had the title that long but he does retain this title the next match we have charlie fulton versus antonio Inuka. Anoki, and I made Bosley research on this because Mr. Antonio Anoki was advertised as the longest title ever. The WWF World Martial Arts Heavyweight Championship, not to be confused with the Lightweight Championship that we're all so familiar with. Do you know anything about the title history? Nothing. I did not either, so Bosley, if you will. The World Wrestling Federation World Martial Arts Heavyweight Championship was a World Heavyweight Championship in the WWF and later in New Japan Pro Wrestling, NJPW. It was created on December 18, 1978, and awarded to NJPW mainstay Antonio Inoki by Vincent J. McMahon, upon Inoki's arrival to the promotion. The title was known for being contested in matches billed as shoot wrestling fights. The WWF World Martial Arts Heavyweight Championship was contested only in NJPW after the promotion became unaffiliated with the WWF in 1985. During the 30th anniversary of Enoki's career, NJPW created the Greatest 18 Club, a Hall of Fame. NJPW then created a new title, the Greatest 18 Championship, which was intended to complement the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. The Greatest 18 Championship was represented by the former Martial Arts Championship and was awarded to Ricky Choshu in 1990. Choshu lost the title to the Great Mter in 1992. Mter retired the title on September 23 of that year, in order to focus on his IWGP Heavyweight Championship title defenses. The title was subsequently officially retired by NJPW. A little extra history on it. I found three times the title was changed hands. Would you care to guess approximately how many days Antonio Inoki held the title on the first time after it was awarded, not even defended or tournament, by Vincent J. McMahon? I'd say when he both changed hands. How long he held it for? Yeah, correct. You said days, so now it isn't that long. Well, I'll throw your bone it's it's over a year so i'm just saying days because that's what i got but it was first awarded on december 18th 1978 how long do you think he kept it for i'll even just settle for a year as far as 
You don't have to get the month or date or whatever. I'll say he held it for, he's the longest reigning, so I'll say two and a half years. He held it until 1989. 11 years, 3,780 days. Take that, New Day. Wow. Yeah, he lost to some guy, probably shouldn't even try to pronounce his name, but Shoda Chochisvinla? Vinley? I don't know. Anyway, lost him on April 24th, 1989, in a fifth round knockout. Oh, a knockout. Yeah. They said it's shoot fight. Yeah, knockout. And he regained it 31 days later, and he then went on to hold the title for 220 days. Still almost a year. And it looks like it was retired December 31st, 1989, or at least deactivated. Anoki was the final champion after New Japan Pro Wrestling abandoned the title. It had two whole champions for that whole title history. Pretty much, if you're familiar with the NWA's Great Western Heritage Belt, it's the WWF's version of that, the title that didn't mean nothing and was pretty much held by no one. Because it was a specific belt. Apparently, it's not allowed to leave the country because on this show, he was not carrying any belt, but it did have it since 1978, but it stays in Japan. Good on them. They know how Vince McMahon was stealing everything up. I don't blame him. He probably tried to buy the belt off of him. <laughs> He'd buy it and give it to Freddie Blassie and tell him it was his special title since he never got to win the WWF Heavyweight Championship. You can have this one. Then he smacked Vince McMahon like Piper smacked Lau for days. <laughs> it would hurt worse for Blassie with that giant 16-carat diamond. I have to get two cameras. So that is a little bit of the lineage history on the mouthful of a title, the WWF Martial Arts Heavyweight Championship of the World, or the fake belt to try to get on New Japan wrestling terms so that we can build a relationship. AKA, steal their talent. So it looks like starting this match, Antonio goes strong with some early takedowns, demonstrating his karate background. Yeah, I saw hardly any karate in this for a martial arts champion. <laughs> and it was rather short. It looks like Charlie had an illegal choke. That's what Antonio kept saying. I don't know if he was pulling a Tito or not. It was a lot of choking and magically a karate kick is what did away with the match and ended it. But it was really just an insiguri. But according to a gorilla, it's a karate kick. Who am I to judge? You can't argue with the Godfather of wrestling. Nope. This was a classic all-black tights match. Everyone wearing black tights. Yes. As John said, it was a quick match with a martial arts kick to the back of the head. And Tony Arnoki picked up the victory. Had to save that injury for the real main event. Oh yeah, most definitely. <laughs> so moving on, we have Sergeant Slaughter with Terry Daniels in action versus the tag team champions Dick Murdoch and Adrian Adonis. Should have just announced them as Cobra Corps. Um, I don't think people would know who they are. <laughs> Granted, he was the first inductee, him being so new and all. Probably like, who's this guy? Why is the flag carrier wrestling? Huh. Oh god, is he special? Oh. Make a wish. <laughs> oh, look, Sergeant Slaughter's the second one. You can definitely tell from this match that they're trying to make Terry Daniels look like a million dollars. And they did a good job. And I did like the one spot that Murdoch picks up some paper trash and rubs it in Terry's face. Yes. 
it's at like the <laughs> one hour 24 minute mark and I think it was gorilla or made of been gene saying foreign object yeah that paper trash you know this weird foreign objects that have been throwing around throughout this whole event yes it was a rowdy crowd in new york they were throwing paper balls the whole time venue propaganda but yes it was trash remind me of a wcw match yeah almost it's not quite nwo first airing at bash of the beach type but there was a lot of paper thrown i'm sure yeah, it was. Salvatore Blumbo was at home crying of all the boats he could be making from that paper that was wasted. I guess that's why they didn't book him. That's probably. He would just be out there collecting the paper. Probably why. But I believe by watching this match, they made Terry Daniels look really good. He seemed to hold his own out there, even though he didn't tag in and out too terribly much. He was doing the SD Jones Black Saturday wrestling strategy of not tagging. <laughs> yeah, the way if he loses, you know, it has to be his fault, but he doesn't lose. No, he's got special Cobra core push that he's getting. He did cause Murdoch to bleed from the nose, I noticed, and I don't know if he paid for that later in the locker room. Oh, I'm sure they talked about it. I'm sure Terry didn't do too much talking. He gets a knee up with Murdoch and charges after him in the turnbuckle and connects, and that causes Murdoch to bleed from his nose. Not the whole match, I really believe that Slaughter could have took Murdoch and Adonis on his own on a 2v1 I think Sarger Slaughter could have did it because the whole time Slaughter was in there both of them were double teaming him and Slaughter had no problem just putting him on down well the rules for the match is if it's a tag team match you have to have a partner he got Terry Daniels and that got him the match unfortunately Terry Daniels did not give him the victory another f- funny part was USA chants and all four guys are from the USA so not sure who they're chanting for Maybe it was a slaughter chant. It was in the military. I think that's what it was intended to be, but don't chant USA when all four guys are from the USA. It doesn't really work too well. Yeah. Oh, crowd. <laughs> Gotta love the crowds. Terry Daniels learned a new move right before the match, and that was the arm drag takedown. He was <laughs> arm drag king. Yep. Slaughter said, make sure you use this 50 times during the match. And Terry Daniels did. And then some. Even when somebody would arm drag him, he would hang on and arm drag them. <laughs> it was magic. You could tell where the finish was going because the announcers botched it at the 1.32 and 10 second mark, an hour, 32 minutes, 10 seconds. There was clearly a tag made between Murdoch and Adonis, but Gorilla was reading ahead and claimed not to see it. And Gene agrees, even though these two aren't refs, they jumped the bullet on the point. And at the 1.32, 37 second mark, Murdoch comes in and no tag is done to Adonis at that point. And the commentators don't say anything that time. So you think there was some shenanigans going on? Is that what you're saying? So, oops. I'm saying they knew that mark was coming. They needed to hit it and they missed it by about 27 seconds too soon and then they chose just not to acknowledge it the second time since they messed up on the first time. This match also had some fighting after the bell. And that's where my comment comes in. Mainly seeing Slaughter just butcher these two guys. Maybe he's finally ready to kick Terry out of the Cobra Core. Maybe go back scrubbing the floor with a toothbrush or something yep. whatever crazy stuff or maybe he'll go to new york again visit liberty powder go find my flag boy yep. sign all these autographs all these little kids away from me ruining my patriotic experience <laughs> 
Ah, fun times with Slaughter. Yes, the unknown tag, as John was saying, was the key to the match in Murdoch and Adonis. Monsoon said it was highway robbery. Plainly, there was a tag. They tagged the first time, didn't the second time, and at least they went off that as far as why it was robbery. But if they would have went off the first one, then it was clearly tagged. I don't know what they were doing that they thought there wasn't, but they tagged the first time. Yes, very apparent there was a tag. I wasn't halfway paying attention, and I saw the tag. <laughs> Maybe they're working on the mic or something. We're not going to have silence in these matches. Well, definitely not. Don't advertise nothing. No. After that, we get five minutes of filler to get ready for MTV to sync up to MSG. Most entertaining part. And we did get Lou Albano to come out and tell the crowd not to boo Moolah. That reminds me of going to any Raw live. They'll come out, we're going live. And then they try to get the camera to pin around all the audience and have them all riled up when they open up Raw and do all the fireworks and all that. Kind of reminded me of that. Lou doing some crowd work to make sure that people would boo Moolah in case for some reason they would cheer. I'm not really sure why that needed to be done. Maybe just so they knew that this was the next match coming up. Wonderful management. And if you want to watch some good clips, go back and watch that part because it's fun to watch Monsoon and Gene just look at the crowd. Hey, look at that guy. He likes WWF. Yeah, merchandising. Oh, two thumbs up. <laughs> you see a pretty woman and Monsoon warns Gene about it and he's like, oh, I still have a heartbeat. It's five minutes of solid gold. I would have done a clip on it, but uh, I think five minutes to listen to stuff's not as good as five minutes to watch and listen. Yeah, so get out there and watch it. Yes. Enjoy our experience. Because you're never here again. And next we have Captain Lou and the fabulous Moolah interview. And you can tell by this interview, Captain Lou is the most attentive manager of the year, I guess you could tell him. Paul Heyman, you ain't got nothing. Nope, this guy knows his clientele like the back of his hand. Lou is ready for the battle. He says that he is beyond confident and he knows that the fabulous Moolah is unstoppable. And Moolah grabs the mic and says, hello to all my friends and enemy. And then the mic is quickly taken away and we hear Captain Lou say, often imitated, never duplicated throughout the interview. Not really sure where that's coming from. This is a new catchphrase for the day. It's on his calendar. But it was interesting to say the least. What was your feelings on the interview? Lou either broke kayfabe or Lou is not very good with knowing the people that he manages. He called Moolah a 12-time champion, and Moolah corrects him to say that she's actually a 27-time champion, and Lou looks baffled. Mm. And I guess that gives credit to Monsoon calling him the fountain of misinformation, because he definitely didn't get his information right on how many times she's been champion. And I believe Monsoon said that he was a walking advertisement for birth control. He did. He did indeed. I don't know if I agree with that statement, but we will move on. What was your thoughts on the Moolah versus Wendy match? A lot of hair pulling. <laughs> Being refed in some women's matches, they're not fun because it's like, okay, well, we know you're going to do it. Do I need to call it every time you do it? Just every once in a while when you do it? So it's just total discretion and it's not fun to try to do this whatsoever. At one point, Moolah tosses her out of the ring by her hair. That was pretty comical, I guess, because it gave Mean Gene an opportunity to uh, help Wendy up, as he said. Very uh, touchy-feely. Yeah, cr crazy uncle, for sure. <laughs> 
get to see Cindy at one point hit Mula while the ref is watching, so all of a sudden this became a no-DQ match because that should warrant an automatic disqualification. But the ref was okay with it. I like to fantasize that Mula and the ref were married at one point, and he's, like, getting back at her, and then after the match she gets back at him, so that's how I can put my mind to ease of why that wasn't allowed. So you're saying that it was a domestic dispute? Totally. Didn't like her. That's why I got the divorce. Really he done wrong and just enjoyed watching her suffer much like Mr. Fuji. Ah, American suffering. This card needed some Fuji. I was kind of disappointed. I noticed that uh, Wendy had just a little too much makeup, too much eyeliner for the pink. She liked those earrings, those CD size earrings that she was wearing. I was hoping she was going to wrestle in those. Would have been fun. Yeah, like I said, I was a little, I don't say perplexed, but I was a little scratching my head about that. It's the 80s, man. <laughs> with the war. Lots of makeup. Twisted sister. She was twisted sister. Indeed. I agree with you there. Very twisted. I have to say. <laughs> Wish I'd done with Lou Albano. Very, very twisted. Yeah, you could hear Lou on the mic basically from the commentator's desk for a good portion of the math. Kind of annoying. And David Wolf was on mic also. Manager for Cindy Lauper. Him and Monsoon had a little scuffle. I thought that was a little funny. And Monsoon saying, well, you don't know what it's like. You've never been in a ring. And yeah, he took a little stab at him there. Yep, not good. I feel like when they announcers start going at it and the referee's gonna lose total control <laughs> and for modern day reference Cindy wins on a Samoa Joe like backslide courtesy of payback indeed now that you mentioned that I did notice that the announcer table was a lot closer than they are nowadays they're right underneath that ring so when Wendy went off out of being slung out by her hair she went right on the announcer's table and probably into Mean Jean's lap courtesy of Mean Jean <laughs> oh he was wishing <laughs> he was wishing and yes the match had horrible Horrible camera angles as the match went on. I don't know what happened to the cameraman. Um, did you notice Mula got tied up like a pinata? And uh, Lou tries to help, and he ends up making things worse because he can't get up there to quite pull the rope where he needs it. It's a classic, probably early days, too. I just hadn't watched the match. Andre the Giant type spot. He was so big that his arms could get caught in those top ropes, and he could just sit down and kind of take a breather. She does a reverse Andre, though. Her legs and feet get uh, locked up in the rope. Yeah, it was kind of comical. And we did see Cindy did take a stab at Mula, and then we see Mula was going to have Lou Albano swing at Wendy, but either she tripped up or something happened, and Lou ended up taking the swing himself into the ropes, and he fell down. And the crowd rejoices. Indeed. Looked a little winded after throwing that punch, so he may need to back in the gym. Definitely doesn't look like the Lou Albano that I saw in pictures in future episodes. Mm -mm. No, definitely not. And for the win, you see Mula push Wendy and turn into a turnbuckle, and then attempts to pin Wendy by suplex. But right after the two count, Wendy lifted her shoulder up and Mula's was still on the mat. And that's how she got the victory. Very nifty. And then the real match starts. Mula vs. Ref. Told you to watch for that spot. Did you see it? It was awesome. Oh, drop kick. Oh, yeah. Ref didn't even look like he knew it was coming. So that's what made it even better. He had his back turned. He was like, boom. It's the hardest drop no, kick. No, you were 100% right. <laughs> yes, he, he no way in the world he's seen that coming. It's payback for the divorce. Overall, I thought the ending of the match was the better where Mula starts beating the hell out of the referee. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. Can't wait for that match next TNT. Referees versus the wrestlers. Yep, the officiators versus Mula and Captain Lou. I'll watch it. So after the match, we go to Mean Gene, who is in the locker room with Wendy and Cindy. Where I'm there, of course. And uh, he interviews Cindy, and the first thing you see or hear is, Hey, fat man. Lou's new name. I kind of got a chuckle out of that. She says, hey, you can't train a wrestler. And we go to Wendy, and Wendy says that Cindy taught her everything she knows about putting on makeup and how to dress. <laughs> it definitely explains the ring attire. 
Except she didn't dye her hair three different colors. I don't know. She must have missed that day, I guess. And that women can do anything they want to besides stay in the kitchen and make babies. Yes. Not sure where they make babies in David's house, but kitchen's usually not a proper place. Nope. After David comes in, he says a thing or two. And then we have Sergeant Slaughter and Hulk Hogan to come in to take pretty much take over the interview. It's just a... Stage interview area there. Everyone comes in and gives their two cents. Even Captain Lou comes by. And Hogan proceeds to bounce his ass right back on out. <laughs> yep, and then Mean Gene says, It's use of discretionary judgment back there. So I think that after the bell rang, when it was completed, and then the interview was better than the match. I think they could have skipped the match. <laughs> Still beats a Penny Mitchell Moolah match, though. Definitely the post and end of the match ref dropkick were the best parts of the match. Oh, definitely. I would have liked to see MTV's ratings for that and see if they were good if people tuned in but then tuned out or if they actually watched the whole thing if you're a Cindy Lauper fan you probably weren't too impressed with it wow she got to punch some old lady awesome glad I watched this and that reminds me we need to go to church nothing like beating up old women to <laughs> take a shower in your sins <laughs> She throws a mean drop kick. She had it coming. It's true. The referee paid for it. Yeah. And yes, you're 100% right. Disqualifications mean nothing because Greg the Hammer Valentine smashed Hulk in the knee with a chair. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> and then Cindy Lopper gets on the rope and smashes Moolah in the face. Nah, it's all right. Yeah. She really asked for it. No discretion there. Yeah, we don't know what Moolah called her. That's right. Maybe she called her fat woman. You never know. Exactly. Fat, so. Mm-hmm. Nothing like third grade name Colin. <laughs> terrible people so we move on to the next match yeah they come right out of that interview and <laughs> i'm treated to this little dilly and i'm uh, naming good old-fashioned family fun at madison square garden ringside oh paula 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 we have kids come on man oh was that who that was that was him. It was him healing it up for the crowd. Some guy called him a batch of sticks, and then he said he looked like he sucked a lot more. That word that rounds with sticks. Yeah, than he did. He wanted to make sure that he heard him, so he repeated it again, but luckily they either caught it or the fink just happened to jump in at the right moment and overtalk that last part. So you only get to hear it once. Interesting coming back from an interview to hear that first thing. I would just wonder how long they were in the ring before they really got the match going, because we know Paul Orndorff takes forever. It's his trademark. Only two minutes and 12 seconds into this match did it take him to get finally ready. I'm just curious of how long it took him to get into the ring. He might not have even been in the ring at that time. It was a far pan shot, so he might have been just walking around the ring and telling fans what he thought of them. Well, he did a hell of a time. <laughs> Bring your kids. Come on out to MSG. We got fun for the whole family. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the ring, we had Chief Strongbow versus Mr. Wonderful. His robe and no elbow pads. Two minutes into the match, <laughs> Paul Orndorff is still haven't got disrobed. Still doesn't have his elbow pads on. In this match, I noticed a lot more building anticipation and hating on the refs than, than other matches. But, I mean, yeah, some of the stuff was coming. But usually in today's wrestling, you won't hear him harp on the refs as much as they did during this broadcast and really in the last two or three things that we've watched from this era. Yeah, eventually Paul does get some encouragement from Chief Strongbow and they finally collide in the corner. Paul finally breaks free and able to get his elbow pads on. You have no count on or anything by the ref during this time phase. Hey, if it works for you, I can say you went at least two minutes, 12 seconds longer than you actually did because you didn't start wrestling until after that. That's right. And once the bell rings, the time starts. So whatever you do, hey, that's what you do. I guess Chief J. Strong 
Longbow has a history of being from Nebraska. He still had a pretty good ovation and they were pretty into his match. So do you have any thoughts or anything on this match? Anything kind of stand out? Besides the elbow pad and the weird finish. Um, Chief J Strongbone kind of reminds me of Tatanka. I guess that would be the most modern Indian wrestler that there is right now. And Tatanka hadn't wrestled in forever other than his little stench that he had on SmackDown, I guess. That genre isn't too popular anymore to have Indian wrestlers unless they're from New Delhi or that kind of Indian. But yeah, did the little war dance when he was kind of hulking up or not selling some of the blows that Orndorff was throwing on him. And he also got the crowd behind him whenever he would do that. So I noticed that. And then, of course, he comes to the ring with a headrest. And also that there is no mean gene on this match due to the fact that he actually did interview someone live and he couldn't get out to the ring as quick as he magically did after that Hulk Hogan Kirk the Hammer Valentine interview. Now I'm really glad you brought up the no-selling part because I believe Mr. Wonderful made him pay for that no-selling part there to the end of the conclusion of the match. As we see Paul Orndorff toss Chief Strongbow into the ropes, Paul Orndorff does a clothesline but not your normal clothesline. It appears that Strongbow turned for some reason, and Paul Orndorff clipped him in the side of the head with a hard forearm, and Strongbow was apparently out. So Paul quickly went over and got the cover and got the victory as well. Definitely one of the awkwardest looking finishes for the night. Looked like it hurt, to say the least. Yes, very Finn Balor-esque of a headshot there. Uh, Gorilla said it knocked the breath out of him. I'm pretty sure Strongbow didn't know where he was for the first couple seconds that whenever he woke up from the three count that woke him up. Yep, and the poor man had to come back out later on too. (laughs) Still confused. And then the next match we have is Rene Goulet. Goulet, that's Jerome. Goulet, that's right. Let you know they're from France. Rene Goulet, like Robert Goulet. Versus Samoa number one. Also known as Alpha. And when they start, the announcers mention about his Michael Jackson-esque glove. So I'm not really sure what the one glove was all about. The cheapest looking one I've ever seen. But we do see the Samoa finally get aggravated and start off the match. And when I do believe Renee got out on the side of the ring and he did put an object in his glove. Yes, it was loaded piece of paper apparently because there's really not much you can fit in a little leathery bag. Glove. And with that glove, he proceeded to strike Samoa number one on the head, and he goes down, which is unlike the Samoa-esque smash man the head kind of deal. And then he put on a scorpion face lock. Everyone is familiar with that. Don't even need to explain it. I think that's what Monsoon called it, was a scorpion face lock. Not to be confused with the scorpion death lock, yes. which Sting did. In the years to come, I would uh, aliens being as popular as it was around this time frame, I just would have called it an alien lock. That big thing that sucks your face. I guess a face sucker would have been a little out of, or face grabber or whatever they call them. Face sucker would be face awesome hugger. for Booker T. Yes. Face sucker. Can you dig it? <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Cue that to TNT. Face hugger. Yes, face hugger. That's that's what they were. Yes, you're correct. <laughs> And then Ray eventually got him, got the Samoa down to his knees with, with the scorpion face lock. And it just starts biting the Samoa for some reason. I know what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> it's not only the biting, it was where he was biting him at. It's like, what the heck, man? Did you not hear Paul Orndorff earlier? Come on, man. This is pre-Fifty Shades of Grey, so I didn't know where this match was really going. Bites him on the side of the stomach, and then he bites him, like, mid-chest. It's like, really? What are we trying to do here? This is wrestling, right? (laughs) 
So I thought that eventually Samoa headbutts him and gets him off of him long enough to pick him up and do a Samoa drop. I'd just call it our drop if I was the Samoan. And that is how he became victorious over Renee. They did show one interesting thing. Renee Goulet had a good strategy that isn't used too often on today that I've seen at least with wrestlers that refuse to wear wrestling boots. He did stomp the feet of the Samoan. It's a good move. I don't know why they don't use it. Like Rusev didn't used to wear shoes. I totally would have used that against Rusev. Most definitely. But that's something you don't see a lot of strategy, I guess you could say. That doesn't make a drink sense. I don't guess you can really sell that, I don't suppose. You could. Do it as comically as you want. You step on my foot, you can reach up, grab it, hop on one leg. I don't know. I don't think you're going to grab a Samoa's leg. I don't think he's going to sell too much. No, I mean, if you step on the Smolin's foot, he grabs his foot that you just stepped on and hops around in his leg like he's in pain. Just depends on how comical you want your heel to be, I guess. Mm. Smolin's aren't really comical, so probably wouldn't work as much for them. But Rusev at the moment said some comedy. He could have done it. Eventually. Yeah. Next, we have the best part of this whole show. Fink advertising future matches that we may or may not ever see. I got the rundown for these if you'd like to hear it. Oh, for sure. First match he announces is Salvatore Blumbo versus Don Morocco. So I'll look forward to that one on TNT maybe sometime. Next, we'll probably never see on TNT, just knowing their history wasn't that long there. But it's a six-man tag match. It's Paul the Butcher Vushan, good old Ron Shaw, some enhancement talent I don't think we've seen yet, Pete Daughtery versus the Fabulous Freebirds. And knowing what we know, the Freebirds weren't really in WWF that long, so they probably won this match, but I doubt we'll see it on TV or on a TNT episode. Then after that, he announces our favorite that just got his butt handed to him uh, recently with Paul Orndorff, Chief Chase Strongbone versus the Ugandan giant Kamala. I could totally see that on TNT future episode. Um, Pat Patterson wrestling everybody's favorite McDonald's customer, Ken Batera. And IC title match. I think I know how this one's going to end. Tito Santana in a return <laughs> bout versus Greg the Hammer Valentine. Maybe there'll be no time limit. We'll actually have to win. Next up after that, we have Jesse Ventura versus Ivan Putsky. Paduski. Or Paduski, as Jesse likes to call him. And tag title match. Samoans versus Dick Murdoch and Adrian Adonis. Special guest referee, Captain Lou. So that would be an interesting to see who he sides with on that. And last, he says August 25th, a bonus match. He never on TV said if these were all happening on that or just on this date there's an extra match. I'm not sure all matches work back of the garden, but it says Rowdy Piper versus Superfly Snuka. Maybe three we'll actually see on TNT after August 25th passes in the timeline. I hope so. You never know what year. Could end up selling these in 85. Who knows? As long as the wrestler's still with the company. Tag titles, though, that'd have to be immediate, but I just don't see that being a match with a special guest referee. Never. That sounds way overdone for TNT. That goes straight to Coliseum Home Video. It's too much for TNT audience. Gotta move those tapes. Oh yeah, oh yeah, no, 100% right. Along with those magazines and everything else. Yep, WWF Magazine, now on set. Definitely gotta do that. We finally have our real main event, and not that woman match, at the Battle Royal. 20 participants, and I would like to give Fink advice next time to save a bunch of time. Just say the people you aren't gonna see, which would just be Bob Backlund, Greg the Hammer Valentine, and Hulk Hogan. And replacing those guys will be Jose Rivera, Brooklyn Brawler, 
and Samu. Other than that, everyone else you've already seen tonight is going to be in this battle royal. Come on down. Yes, that would have been a lot shorter, a lot quicker to the action instead of naming everybody name by name by name by name by name. But I guess everybody has an ego and needs it stroke. Even announced where they were from again in case people forgot since the last time I saw them the same night. On paper, looking at this, if you didn't know anything about the time period, who won, you would probably be like the last two or something. But just by the push, you'd think Terry Daniels would win because he was doing everything. But in reality, I would think that Iron Sheik would probably win. Maybe our... Continental title holder would finally get a win, legit, sort of, but no, that's not who comes on top out of this. That's 100% right. Again, when the match started, it's chaos, of course. Everybody's against everybody. A lot of good, bad camera angles, so get ready for that. That was fantastic. You would hear so-and-so's eliminated, and then the cameraman would catch them walking out of the arena instead of actually diving out onto the floor. And then there were some people that were eliminated that nobody called. Yep. There's too much going on. And then some were they just admitted. I, I don't know if he went over the top or under the ropes there, Gene. I think Cowboy Bob Orton actually slid under the ropes and come down and around and back. I think they did actually catch that. Smart guys knew how to win a battle royal or at least last longer or not have to get worn out from wrestling earlier in the night. Just freaking take some time off and walk around the ring. It was a good idea. Didn't help him any, but it was a good good try. Good strategy. Eventually come down to Ron Shaw, Renee Gurley, Gurley and Antonio... Anaki. And it appeared that Renee and Ron had teamed together to try to take out the martial artist. And it come down to Ron had Antonio in a full Nelson. Renee went off the rope for a running fist. Antonio broke free and knocked Shaw clean out of the ring. After this, Antonio saw the advantage, gave another martial arts kick to the back of the head. Again, scary. Absolutely. And Renee went out of the ring and Antonio won the battle royale. Because he is the WWF heavyweight martial arts champion take that 19 other man yep. which apparently atops the ic belt because he kicked his butt beat him with the help of 19 other man mind you maybe i don't know tito probably just eliminated himself because he didn't have to worry about losing the title i would think that terry would be the be one of the ones that actually introduced himself <laughs> you would think anyway Sergeant slaughter probably had him go back to the locker room to get his flag and terry stepped over the ropes and did it and eliminated himself and then we were all disappointed what's your thoughts on the whole copy and paste put this match put this match here put this match here event well from our tnt viewing it, most of the matches didn't make any sense none of them were actually lined up with anything looks like hogan and valentine was kind of a last minute type deal they eventually made valentine and tito more of a card thing we never get to see bob orton again for a while and some of these other people we've never really seen like charlie i don't know maybe he's just in town for the match and they decided to put him on there or something but yeah i've never saw charlie fulton before bob Backlund's kind of a rarity and seeing how he got exempt from the 20-man battle royal he must be getting a push that's how i looked at the 20-man battle royal anyone that actually wasn't in it that wrestled was actually getting a push so they didn't have to do double duty so that would be your bob Backlund, greg hammer valentine and hulk hogan are getting the push everyone else get your butts out there and put something together make them look good yeah you don't have a choice <laughs> it's definitely a semi tribute to antonio anaki to get two wins in one night so some kind of backyard new japan wrestling dealings there to make him look good but it did remind me of like an independent show it seems like something they would they would do locally just throw together matches with not really any storylines or anything 
especially when they knew all these were going to be aka dark matches except for the Wendy Richter thing. That was an interesting little fact to know that only the Wendy and Moolah match was actually aired. Gives a whole new spotlight on the brawl to end it all. Going in thinking that all the matches were on MTV just the one match. Definitely wasn't as popular as MTV. Didn't want to host the whole thing. Just the part that had our channel know as talent on it. Take that. Yeah. GCW. <laughs> Overall, it wasn't horrible. And like I said, it felt like they took the Battle Royal, everybody that was in it, and then put matches on top of it and tried to make it into something. Almost like it was thrown together. I wonder if this ever went to Home Coliseum video or if MSG owns all the rights to it. And this is the only way to see it. I'm guessing it didn't since the way we watched it was off someone's VCR taping. Imagine somebody recorded it. Looks like it. We forgot to mention our cool commercials that happened. Got to learn about the Avengers and there was no Iron Man. Man, Captain America, Thor, Vision, Scarlet Witch. None of those were in this. No time for fantasy. No, these were the original, original Avengers off British television. The real OGs. I remember hearing about them. I think when I was looking up Avengers stuff when I was growing up and I came across this somehow. But yeah, there actually was a television show called The Avengers. I think it came out in the 60s or 70s. Just going off the guard that they were wearing in the preview of the show. Apparently it gets shown on an MSG during this time every night at 11 o'clock. Tune in. I was looking for some commercials, but not that Avengers commercial. Yeah, it was weird commercials. That's why I kind of question, is this a real channel or is this a subscription channel? Because, yeah, the commercials, there was no product placement. It advertised the Avengers, television, cable television, oh, Madison Square Garden itself. So, yeah, weird commercials. Yeah, I just don't know if they just didn't have a lot going on how exactly they had it set up there. We'll have to track down the guy that recorded this and ask him, what the heck was this like in 84? Bosley, get on that. Oh, his dad probably recorded it and he don't know. <laughs> Probably. It was a good special. I'm excited to see what the next one is in the next uh, TNT Titans episode. Episode 6. Could jump right into that. Next episode, it's supposed to finally get to see the 8th wonder of the world with Andre the Giant. And he's going to do what all people like to see on Tuesday Night Titans. He's going to sing. Ooh, that should be interesting. I've heard him talk, but I've never heard him sing. Yeah, I can't wait to hear Andre the Giant sing karaoke. Yay. It should be good. It should be fine. And hopefully from dancing, if not this episode, maybe the next episode to make up for it. Supposed to have Tiger Chung Lee with weapons and a demonstration. Is she going to break bricks and break a car? I'm sorry to disappoint you, but it's not that Tiger Chung Lee. No. It's, it's the other one. The Capcom. Get on it. The guy from Korea. Mr. Fuji's tag team partner. Ah, uh, yes. Well, maybe we will get a twofer. And maybe Andre will sing and he will dance. You can only be so lucky. Hey, anything can happen, right? It is Tuesday Night Titans. I think that's the underscore tagline. Well, awesome. What do you want? You keep touching my leg. That being said, tune in for our next episode, Tuesday Night Titans, episode six. We will see you then. Be sure to tell your friends, tell your family, tell your family's friends, tell the friends of your family. Be sure to listen to the Tag Team Podcast. Follow us on social media. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the Tag Team Podcast. On Twitter, at Tag Team Podcast. On Google Plus, the Tag Team Podcast. Email us, at the Tag Team Podcast at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail on the tagline. 
6016544 tag that's 6016544824. You can also listen on SoundCloud by searching the Tag Team Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Tag Team Podcast. Join Jeff and John next week as they continue to break down WWF Tuesday Night Titans. Women don't belong in the kitchen getting pregnant. <laughs> <laughs>